Welcome to Daybreak Devotions, a podcast version of the daily radio ministry of the McLeansville Baptist Church with your host, Pastors Mike Barnett and Corey Cantrell. Well, swing that old microphone arm around and let's get this thing kicked off on this wonderful Tuesday. It's a terrific Tuesday. It's a how-to Tuesday. It's whatever you need this Tuesday to be, but we welcome you back to Daybreak Devotions from the McLeansville Baptist Church, and you're listening to the voice of Mike Barnett, the pastor. None other. <laughs> Live and in person. Well, I'm just glad to have a voice coming back a little bit, you know, recovering. Yep. I'm Recovery glad operations. I'm glad your voice is coming back. Yeah, I'm trying not to use it unnecessarily. In other words, I'm trying to practice less talk, more listen. Huh. Wise words. Yep. Wiser words haven't been spoken in the last 60 seconds. That's true. But we're going to get right into this today because we've got so much to do. This is a spectacular week. Why? It's Thanksgiving. Yes, it is. We're only two days away from the official holiday. And this is my 46th Thanksgiving celebration. Wow. And for about 26 of those... I've been on a campaign. I've been on a campaign to extend Thanksgiving to the original three-day plan. Hmm. Yeah, we've we we we've lost it. We've given it up to football, Black Friday shopping, and who knows what all. But boy, back in the day, them pilgrims and them Indians got together. Man, they 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 celebrated for three straight days. They feasted. They had fun. Probably played football. And when it was all said and done, they fought. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, you spend three days camping out with somebody like that, eventually some kind of trouble's going to break ready to out. You're to come to blows, too. Yeah, but, uh, you know, all that aside, it was a good time, and we have a lot to be thankful for. Yes. We're glad for the history and heritage of our nation. By the way, I have always been interested in the, the Christian roots of our nation, uh, the religious roots of our nation, if we want to use that term, because, you know, there's been a lot of religious influence in the United States over the years. I was in our local bookstore, uh, would be yesterday, and I found a book about yay thick. For the listener, that's three and a half inches. That's like six inches. That's six inches? I don't know. I'm no, not good at four. estimating. Four okay. inches. And it was on the uh, Christian heritage of the United States. Man, I came this close to getting it. But, which is about two inches. But uh, I didn't. But if it's still there next time I go, maybe I will. But there's a lot of uh, good stuff. And really, around Thanksgiving, the entire thing centers around religious freedom. Mm -hmm. You know that. I do. Tell me about it. What? (laughs) Well, you know, it's kind of like when uh, Andy said to Barney, you got to tell us about the Emancipation Proclamation. Well, you know. Yeah, you know, it was these people, and how else was they going to get themselves emancipated unless they made a proclamation? So That's they got right. themselves a proclamation, and they called it the Emancipation Proclamation. What more is there to know? <laughs> oh, the religious freedom behind the uh, pilgrims. I do. Well, the pilgrims I'm more well-versed with, and I, the reason I hesitated was because I'm familiar with the origination of the holiday of Thanksgiving, which kind of threw me. I thought that's what you were asking as far as, like, the 
the Christian heritage behind the holiday. Let's be honest here. You're thrown because you have no idea what I'm about to ask you. Well, I never have any idea what you're about to ask me. That's a very common thing. I do know that there was a lot of religious freedom that centered in why the pilgrims came over here in the first place Mm -hmm. and what drove them to leave the life that they had always known and really launch into the unknown territory of coming to the new world. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the direction that you're getting ready to ask me these questions. No, I I was. I was being serious. Like the, the history behind it. And just to keep us on the straight and narrow path, I actually printed off from history.com and what may arguably be a more reliable source, Wikipedia. Ah, of course. But they got it right. I mean, this is so well documented, and and we talk about it every year. And Thanksgiving's my favorite holiday. Mm -hmm. I love the story, um, the adventure, the, the diligence of those pilgrims. And let's just put some proper terminology here. You had the Puritans who were the ones that, wanted the Church of England to just get better. They said, we're going to stay with it, man. Mm-hmm. We can help the church get better. And then you had the pilgrims, you had the separatists who said, nope, she's done. We're out of here. And so they said, you know, we're hopping a boat to the New World. And lo and behold, 66 days later, they arrive. They leave in August. I think it's August 15th. I don't know if that's in my notes. But they arrive. Uh, okay, by the way, I hadn't even announced this. Today is Happy Pilgrim Landing Day. Oh. That's why we're talking about this. November 21st, 1620, the, uh, the the Mayflower is anchored off of Cape Cod, Massachusetts on this very day. Wow. 1620, 403 years ago. So that's big. Yes, it is. Real big. And so com- coming back to what I was saying, though, the separatists, they had sought religious freedom before they left England in 1607 and 1608 to settle in where? Holland. The Netherlands. Wasn't it referred First to First as- in Amsterdam, later in the town of Leiden, ah. where they remained for the next decade. But just to come full circle, isn't Holland and the Netherlands, like, isn't that the same thing as, like, England and Great Britain? Well, let's, don't, let's just don't get down into the dirty details. That doesn't matter. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was Dutch. I reckon. A bunch of Dutch. <laughs> they got good chocolate, though. They had good chocolate, but they did not succeed in, uh, in, in what they were hoping for. Do you know why? Why? After a decade of living in Holland, a.k.a. Amsterdam, they found that their children were growing up in a very secularized culture, and that began to concern them. And so their next choice was hop a boat to the New World, i.e. the Mayflower. Mm -hmm. Mayflower was a cargo ship designed to carry lumber and other supplies like that, but instead it carried 102 passengers, 30 crew members. Do have a question. I might be getting my historical facts Mixed up a little bit here, but the the Mayflower wasn't the original ship that they were taking, well, was no, it? It was, but there were two originally. Oh, okay, okay. They the all ended up on the Mayflower, yeah, the yep. Speedwell. Had they, had they had both ships, the Speedwell began to leak, and they had to turn back, and so it was just the Mayflower. But with two ships, they had anticipated arriving by October, but instead, uh, all on one ship, it pushed them back to November before they landed. Which... Again, I mean, you can play the what-if game. And, and, of course, all of this is in light of the providence of God. But they land in October rather than November. Maybe there's a little bit more of an acclimation period to the drastic weather changes. Who knows how everything happens. But also, who knows how much you know dependence on God and thankfulness for the surviving that, that the Lord brought them through. I mean, you can play the hypothetical game, but it is a lot to think about how events set them up for... <laughs> 
really what the world would say, disaster. But again, we know that God has a hand in all of it. Well, one of the questions that we need to answer for everybody is how many pilgrims were on the Mayflower? I have no idea. Well, when the pilgrims arrived, to help us answer this question, when the pilgrims arrived, there was someone who met them and helped establish them in this in setting up their new life. And I think if we go into the archives, we've got an audio soundbite. Do you know who met the pilgrims when they arrived? I do not. Squanto? Some people think that. Okay. Some people think it was Samoset. Uh-huh. It was actually John Wayne. Was it? Yep. And we're going to see because when they got off the pil- when they got off the Mayflower, uh, he met them and actually up until that moment they were known as the separatists, but that all changed when they met John Wayne in the New World. And, and a lot of people know that Governor Bradford wrote a book to chronicle the events of the pilgrims getting established. Very few people know that there was an audio recording made by Governor Bradford. And what we have is a, a, the sound bites. John Wayne gave specific instructions to each pilgrim, okay? He had words for every pilgrim that walked off the ship. So we're going to count how many times he addresses a pilgrim in this audio clip. We'll know how many pilgrims were on the boat. Okay. Saving my life, Pilgrim. That isn't why There's I There's one. It. You're a persistent cuss, Pilgrim. Two. Well, cool off, Pilgrim. Don't <laughs> fret about that, Pilgrim. He sure will, but not after me. After you, Pilgrim. That's five. Oh, take her easy there, Pilgrim. <laughs> but election day, Pilgrim, you can depend on it. They'll be here. Pilgrim, you're going to need a couple of stitches. <laughs> Pilgrim! Valens couldn't make you run away. What is it now, Pilgrim? Your conscience? That's ten. Think you can make it, Pilgrim? <laughs> Think back, Pilgrim. Pilgrim. <laughs> well, Pilgrim. <laughs> I see you're still protecting the ladies. <laughs> Step down, Pilgrim. I hate <laughs> tricks, Pilgrim. Like I say, Pilgrim, you can eat here till you get back on your feet. That's <laughs> such it, a, Pilgrim. Yeah. Such a welcoming guy. <laughs> Pilgrim. Don't oh, get the cock at first. <laughs> I'll take some advice, Pilgrim. Oh, good luck, Pilgrim. Oh, Pilgrim, hold it. Hey, Pilgrim. <laughs> Forgot your pop gun. <laughs> well, there you have it. 23 times. 23 times. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, that doesn't match up with the records. No. But according to Governor Bradford's audio recording, John Wayne met them as they came off the Mayflower November 21st, and, and he gave specific instructions to each one as they walked off the boat. Yep. You need to cool off. <laughs> you need <laughs> to cock it first. Gun. Don't forget about the elections. <laughs> Keep protecting the ladies. It's the beginning of the American way of life. I mean, that's what, folks, I know none of you knew this. This is breaking news right here. I mean, we understand John Wayne's America, right? I mean, this is, this is it. I mean, God and country right here. Pilgrims, separatists meeting John Wayne. Uh, but anyway, I'm still confused because I, 
there were supposed to be like 40, 40 some of the, the quote pilgrims that got off the boat. So we got 23 there. Play it one more time. Think you can make it, Pilgrim? Pilgrim, Pilgrim, Pilgrim. Pilgrim, 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 holiday. Pilgrim, cool off, Pilgrim, Pilgrim, Pilgrim. Good luck, Pilgrim, Pilgrim. <laughs> Step down, Pilgrim, Pilgrim. Pilgrim! <laughs> Pilgrim! Pilgrim. Pilgrim! Pilgrim. Think back, Pilgrim. <laughs> Okay, so if you add all those in, that's probably close to 40, right? Uh, yeah, give or take. Oh, man. I hope you enjoyed that. That's Look, you won't get that on any other programming today. That was exclusive to Daybreak Devotions. Listen, I don't care what your educational institutional background is. You ain't going to find that there. Yep. Well, uh, there you have it. So today is Happy Pilgrim Landing Day, November the 21st. And it officially kicks off the Thanksgiving holiday. I am pushing for the three-day celebration you could start today, go through Thursday. You could start tomorrow, go through Friday. It doesn't matter to me, but three days. You could start Thursday and go through Saturday if you want to. You could start today and go through Saturday, make it five days. More's always better. Yeah. There you have it. All right, that's all I've got to say about that. Okay, Pilgrim. so let's open our Bibles. Let's do it. <clears throat> Somebody's been waiting for that. We're going to look at, uh, it is a How-To Tuesday, and we haven't done one of these in... A week or two? At least a couple, maybe a maybe couple of weeks? Three. Wow. Well, things have been going on. I've been traveling and whatnot. But I had this thought that it would be wonderful for us to talk today about how to, how to get ready for church. How do you get ready? On a How To Tuesday, how to, how to get ready for going to church or how to get glad Ooh. before you go to church. I'm trying okay. to think of how to term that. Anyway, when we type it up on the podcast show notes, we'll put it in the right wording. But I was thinking about that. Just to, to restate it, we're talking about practical things in our Christian life on How To Tuesdays. Well, what about when it's time to go to church? How do we do that well? How do we make sure that when we come to church, we actually come ready for worship? We come ready for fellowship? We come ready to learn? Versus, as we've heard the old preacher say in the past, you know, you don't want to be that guy that shows up sitting on the pew with his arms crossed saying, bless me if you can. Right. Right? So how do we avoid that? And it's not that I'm thinking that everybody just shows, you know, people don't come to church wanting to be. Cantankerous. Yeah, or grumpy. I mean, there's always a few, right? They're just grumpy people. But by and large, a lot of people, I think, that come to church and struggle to be, quote, in the spirit of it, and I don't mean in the capital S spirit, but in the right. spirit of the church and worship, I think a lot of the struggle they have is what they do leading up to arriving for the church meeting. Yeah, I think if, if I was to put that in my own words, I think a lot of times we come to church and we hope something happens, but we kind of have this philosophy that, well, I mean, it's really up to the Spirit of, the, of God. I, I hope that something great happens today, but I don't really know how to make it happen. And what we're talking about today is, these are steps, these are things that we can do to prepare our hearts, not to quote-unquote make something big happen, to, but to make sure that we are in the place in our own individual lives to receive what we know that God is bringing and desiring for us to do that day. Well, one of my uh, our pastor friends sent me a, I guess it's a meme, I always get those words, but it's a picture with words on it, yep. captured, and it was, a, it was these people sitting at a football game, and they're covered in snow. And they're bundled up in heavy coats watching this football game. 
And it said at the top something like, if we could get our church members to have this kind of dedication, we could change the world. Yeah. And I was thinking about that because when we go to church, what if we went to church like sports fans go to the big game? Whether they watch it on TV or actually go to the stadium, whichever. Most people that are really fans of a team or a sport, they don't just, oh, it's time to watch the game and just flip the TV on. They're not usually casual observers. Yeah. They're planning their day around it. They're getting everything ready. They've got their snacks, and if they're going to the game, they've got their foam finger and their cheese head and all that stuff, right? Got that right. <laughs> so there's a whole lot of thinking ahead, planning ahead, making sure, this, hey, nothing else is going on right now except this. And there's also a lot of removing of distractions that take place to that, too. Yes. I, I remember in my heavily Packers Cheesehead watching days, days. yeah. Um, there were a lot of times where it was like, okay, children, y'all need to go to your bedroom for a little while because this is a distraction-free zone right now. Wow. You're more than welcome to come watch the game, but... If you make a peep, you're out of here. I'm, I'm going to throw the flag... <laughs> And you're ejected. Maybe not necessarily make a peep, but don't come in here expecting to watch cartoons right now. So you need to go elsewhere if you're not wanting to do this, which, you know, I don't really say that proudly. But I, but to that point, you, you budget it out. You clear it out to make sure this is what we're doing right now. We're focused hey, in. And for the listener out there, folks, a bit of trivia. Somewhere out there in the digital Internet world, there's a profile picture of our beloved associate pastor wearing a cheese head. Proudly, might I yeah. add. Big slice of cheese on his head. Big anyway. old hunk. And I've still got it in my closet, too. <clears throat> well, at least it's in the closet now. Psalm 122. This is the passage that I, I the passage I thought about as far as like the essence of what we want to talk about. David says in Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That captures the spirit of what we need to discuss today. How do we get glad about going to church? That would be a good way to yeah. title this. How to get glad about going to the house of God. Because David says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, you can picture that in modern times, okay? So you got you got the, the husband, you got the children. Most of the time, it's the wife and the mom saying, it's time to go to church, and they're all doing what? Well, who knows what? She's probably been trying to get everybody dressed and get them motivated. That's, okay, that's stereotypical. Yeah. Let me withdraw that. I... I withdraw the, uh, the whatever the courtroom term would be. Object me. Object. Objection Shun. sustained. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, we're terrible in the courtroom. <laughs> Let's get back to the Bible. So David said, I was glad about that. And, and just, I don't want to spend a lot of time like breaking down this passage because I want to go to Ephesians as kind of a, a, a more thorough study text. But I like that he says I, and then he says they, and then he says let us. That whole thing, just to bring out a, a point at the very beginning that I'd like to highlight, you got to get out of yourself. Hmm. Now, it does start with what I can do in my heart between me and God, but ultimately this is about, man, I'm getting ready to go gather with the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ. It's a mutual thing. It's a fellowship. It's a community. And so there has to be that mindset of start thinking about everybody else as part of your preparation. But that's, a, that's just an extra bonus point I'll throw out there. So when David says, I was glad when they said unto me, the word here is samak. It means to be cheerful of heart. And merry, it means to rejoice. And so we want to come to church with rejoicing. So how do we get our hearts glad before we come to church? And that's the key. 
We do it before we come to church so that when we arrive, we're bringing a spirit of rejoicing into that gathering place. And just to use some simple numbers, if you have 100 people gathering together, I mean, I don't know what a typical Sunday would be like, I, and I don't want to be negative, but just let's just be realistic. If there are 100 people gathering in a typical church on Sunday morning, would it be safe to say we would hope half of them maybe come with their heart ready? I think that would be great. If you think we that would be too optimistic? I don't think it would be too optimistic because I think that's feasible. But, I mean, I think that would be a great goal to set every every service. I, and, I mean, yes. Obviously, we want the goal to be 100%. 100% right. And, and we ought to believe that we can get there, right? And things like this discussion help us with that because I think you said something earlier when we were talking about – why this is difficult for people. Maybe you said it just a few moments ago. Like, why why talking about these practical things is important? Because it, people get it in their mind that, yeah. oh, I know what it was. You said it. they, they show up expecting when they get there that something big will happen that will yes. wake them up and bring them into it. Yes. And maybe when we when we when we say to people, no, there's stuff that you can do, then they think, oh, well, you know, I can't do that, or maybe it's too complicated, or, or it's going to be fabricated. Like if I'm the one that has to do it, I don't want me to do something. I want it to be the work of God. Yeah. Okay. And, okay. So I think that's good. So my my counter to that, or my answer to that, would be, no, I think you're going to be surprised. Just the simple things that I know I wanted to mention on this broadcast. So let me, let me take us to Ephesians just by referencing that letter. I think Ephesians is a handbook on the church within the book about the church, right, the, new, the whole New Testament. But if you look at Ephesians 1 through 4, those first four chapters, I notice the word together is used seven times. Now that's not like a crazy amount, but it is significant when you see the phrases that Paul uses. Gather together, quickened together, raised together, sit together, framed together, builded together, joined together. And in those first four chapters, Paul talks a lot about our togetherness as far as the body of the church, the body of believers that come together and are built up together. And we sit together in heavenly places, but we sit together in this physical place on the Sunday morning or the Sunday night or the Wednesday night or whenever you have those gatherings. But then you come to Ephesians chapter 5, and it seems like Paul is giving us the look into the individual's necessary preparations in order to enter into that togetherness. And so in Ephesians chapter 5, let's read a few verses here. And be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and, and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord." And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light, for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. 
Wherefore, he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. I stop right there. Now, well, the rest of that's important, the rest of the chapter. But as we talk about these things, I would say listeners look at this chapter and see how it connects with the things that Paul mentions here. So, for example, the first thing that I wrote down when I thought of what would you say to someone if they said, well, how do I get myself ready to go to church on Sunday? How can I prepare to have a glad heart before I go to the house of God? Number one, you've got to tune out to tune in. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is there are some things we need to abstain from on Sunday and Wednesday to help us be focused when we come to the gathering. I'm not talking about blatant sin, although if you look at what I just read, Paul calls out a lot of things that need to have We need absolutely no part in our lives, even to the point of filthiness or or, or filthiness and foolish talking and jesting. Yeah. Okay? So, man, we could could just go deep with that, right? But just let let me say, I have heard people say, I know people who watch television before they leave to come to church. Now, I'm not going to tell you what you cannot or can do, but... It is fair to assume, I think, that if you are watching the news or gun smoke or anything other than the maybe the type of broadcasting that does call your attention to worship and prepares you for, for uh, being in the presence of God, if you're watching anything else right up until it's time to go to church and then you click the remote off and hop in the car, you're probably not preparing your soul for church. Yeah, because you're filling your mind with the very stuff that you're then going to church to try to get your mind empty of. And even at best, you might be just let, okay. This this will shock everybody. I'm a big fan of the Andy Griffith Show. Really? But you want to know sometime a place and time I'm never going to be watching the Andy Griffith Show? I guarantee you, you won't find me watching the Andy Griffith Show before church. Mm-hmm. And I'm using that because the Andy Griffith Show we would all say is a wholesome thing. There's well, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, sure they got a town drunk and Andy lies at the drop of a hat, but there's nothing wrong with that, <laughs> you know. In all seriousness, there's nothing wrong with that, and there's probably nothing wrong with a lot of what people are watching. But even if you're filling your mind with that fluff, what you're not doing, you're not tuning into God. Right. That's the key point here. What Paul goes on after he names all this stuff that needs to be put out of our life, he then tells us what we should focus on. We've got to tune out in order to tune in. And so I'm going to just throw this out there. I don't even listen to other preachers or teachers on Sunday or during Sunday or Wednesday evening and because I want my heart solely focused on what the Lord has given me to preach or teach. And I'm not saying that that should be the way for every church member, but I, I don't think it would hurt to tune out, even, if the, uh, even from other Bible teachers on those days, just so your heart can be more clear to receive what God is giving in your local assembly. The phrase that we use a lot of times is information overload. And every job that I've worked, whenever I've been getting trained for a new position, you've always got that one supervisor that wants to tell you, like, their 20 years of experience in a 30-second conversation. And then there's the manager that comes along that says, hey, hey, listen, information overload. Give him what he needs right now, and he'll learn the rest of it in time. All right, well, 
Think about your Sunday morning. If you've already listened to three different preachers before you show up to your morning service, your mind and head may be completely filled with Bible facts and knowledge and messaging, but it gets really overloaded to try to pinpoint this was the message that God gave my pastor for the day. And it feeds into something even that what we've done on Sundays of trying to streamline the messaging between Sunday morning and Sunday night, staying on the message and on point with where we're at because we don't want to be pulled in a million different directions. We want the singular focus for the day. I wish you wouldn't make such good uh, sub points to the point because then I have to make another one. Uh Well, I mean, not another one, but just to say to that, yes, because we live in a society that's very big on keep things moving. Yeah. And, and, Okay, I got it. I got it. Now give me something else. Give me something else. Give me something else. Give me something else. Now we're not actually digesting any of it. All we're doing is being becoming preoccupied with whatever's playing in the moment. Sure. And so nothing becomes nothing nothing settles into becoming our identity mm-hmm. anymore. So that's one thing. Secondly, I wrote down start your worship early. So start your worship early would be my second thing. And I've shared this a few times. In, in the church, maybe here, but as a as a pastor of a church, of course I'm up early on Sundays. Usually I spend a shorter time in my own personal prayer meditation time because I shift to, okay, now I've got to prepare or finalize the message that God has in my heart for that day. And I will admit, that sounds like a built-in advantage for me, but really it, it's very possible for every member of the church to be tuning in at some level. Uh, maybe Maybe you focus in by... You know, what was the last message preached? Mm-hmm. What is your Sunday school lesson for the week? You know, there's different ways. It's just think about what helps you get focused early before you arrive at the church. So you've already tuned out of worldly things or carnal things, whatever. You've already tuned out. You're tuning in. And and one thing that really helps is to turn on good worship music. Yes. And I mean by that the good stuff, the stuff that really ministers to your soul. You don't just want the background noise that's Christian-themed. You want worship music that really calls your attention and affection to God and gets you aligned and ready. So you're ready. When you get to church, you've already been worshiping. Yeah. That makes a huge difference in what your experience of church will be like. And this gets a whole lot easier if you're doing some of these things throughout the week. So again, like, you know, you're mentioning worship songs like Charity and I have a have a playlist that we play on Sunday mornings when we're in there getting ready and stuff. But we're, we're tweaking that thing throughout the week. You know, even while we're driving in the car, something, you know, we'll hear a song or something like that, and it'll be like, oh, man, that, that speaks, that resonates. Somebody will send us a song, and, hey, you need to listen to this. It's been helping me. Oh, man, yeah, we're getting help from that, too, so we'll throw it on that playlist. So all throughout the week, there's advancements in worship being made. So by Sunday morning, I hate to say it, it's not cruise control, but but I think you know what I mean. Like it, it's not it's like natural. Yeah, we're not working to like. Oh, okay, I got to do this. It's just like no. Right now, I'm reflecting on the past week and some of the things that helped me. You mean it's the overflow? Yes. Number three, pray for your worship leaders before you come. Spend some time praying for your pastor, your song leader, your Sunday school teacher, mm-hmm. the people that'll serve you. Just. Just doing that will really help you get ready for coming to church. It's helpful for a number of reasons. Of course, it means you're aligning your heart with God because you're praying. It means you're seeking the very best of God's will to be done that day. You're interceding for others, which makes your heart more attuned, uh, more considerate of them, probably more patient with people, and it helps you be a better listener and a participant when you get there. Mm -hmm. So I would say praying, just 
you know, you want to get ready, get your heart glad, get in that worship mode, begin to pray for those people that will stand in front of you and lead you on that day. Number four is my last one. If things at home aren't right, get them right. Now, somebody's going to say, well, that's easier said than done. I understand that. But it's just like you just said with the worship. If you don't wait until things are just a mess in your life, but you daily practice this thing called forgiveness, this apologizing, this, hey, we don't let the sun go down on our wrath, God will help us to fix our attitudes. Mm -hmm. If you're at odds in the house, that's that's got to be addressed. We really, we don't have to come to church upset. We don't, and we don't have to come to church critical. We don't have to come to church with grudges or whatever else you want to put in there. It's only our pride that is keeping us from clearing our hearts and minds before we come to church to worship God. And it's not hard if you don't make yourself the most important person in your life. Because hmm. then I can come to my wife, my child, and I can say, you know what? I lost my temper. I've been impatient. I'm sorry. Doesn't matter what got me here, I was wrong. We're about to go to church, and I don't want to be wrong in my heart, and I don't want you to be wrong in your heart because of what I've said or what I've done. Will you forgive me? Let's pray and ask God to just lift this burden out of our heart. Then we can get in the car and go to church. Yeah. And I know there's a lot of folks that, man, that in and of itself is hard right there. I think if you take that a step further, not only things right at home, but our relationships with one another at the place that we're getting ready to go and assemble together with. Oh, yeah, you could use your phone and call them. Oh, man, that's going to be awkward too. But but I think the, the principle is definitely there. It's really hard to worship God in the full extent of what he's worthy of when we're harboring negativity and disgruntledness amongst one another. Got that right, Pilgrim. <laughs> well, the last one on my list that I had, and then I know we're about out of time, and, and this one's going to sound super simplistic, but we've all been in those seasons where we've let it drop off, and it's just the simple thing of sleep. Going to bed at a decent time, and I know there's sometimes you're in a phase of life where there are there's problems and there's concerns. Maybe there's physical things that are robbing and denying of sleep, but a lot of that we bring upon ourselves by staying up too late and not getting the necessary rest that we need, and so we wake up, and that causes us to to be delayed in waking up, and now we're rushed getting out the door, and now we're throwing everybody in the car and driving as fast as we can to get there, and then we're sprinting into church, and we're out of breath, and we're just exhausted before anything has happened, and we have no clarity of thought of what we're doing when a lot of that could have been resolved simply by just going to bed 30 minutes to an hour earlier the night before. Yep. Stop binging those Netflix. (laughs) Yeah, stay off of Netflix, people. (laughs) That's all all the time we... That's all the time we have today, Pilgrim. So on that note, have you a wonderful rest of your day, and we'll see you next time. And we thank you for joining us on today's program. We hope that you'll tune in with us each and every day right here on Daybreak Devotions as Pastor Mike and I will discuss various topics in God's Word. If you've got any questions, comments, we would love to hear from you at daybreakdevotion.com at gmail.com.